Good evening. This is my favorite night of the year, a night of paradox, of beauty and mystery and suffering and sadness and hope and wonder all wrapped up into one. And I don't take it lightly to get to stand here before you in front of the cross. The reason why we're here, because 2,000 years ago, Jesus was betrayed by a friend, slandered in a rigged trial, and crucified by the very people he came to save. That's why we're here. You could study the mystery and the wonder of what happened at that event for the rest of your life and find an unending treasure trove of brilliance and beauty. But for tonight, I only have 15 minutes. And so we will start with one verse and see how we do with that. Because maybe there's enough in one verse to change the course of history. Romans 5 verse 8, the Apostle Paul writing about Jesus says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Here we get three statements, three jewels of truth for us that illuminate the mystery of Jesus on the cross. And it starts like this. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. When we gather on Good Friday to remember when Jesus died, we are trying to come before him to understand what he did. What's happening on the cross? Why did Jesus die? What was the motivation? Paul states it clearly. Because God loves you. The cross is the communication, the demonstration of the most radical, scandalous, powerful love. Through the cross, the heart of God is revealed. Some things about God are a mystery, paradoxical, complex, hard to grasp. One thing is never in doubt. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. Jesus demonstrates the love of God in quantifiable terms through a disgraceful and painful death, naked, hanging on a tree, in shame as a common criminal. All of it to let you know in no uncertain terms that the God of the whole universe loves you more than you can imagine. How much does he love you? More than he loves himself. How much does he want to bless you? More than he needs to be blessed. How much does he value and honor you? More than he needs to be honored. How much does he love you? Apparently more than he values his own life. This is all backwards. It's upside down. What other God loves like this? The God of the whole universe dying for people. It is unheard of. Because who is worthy of honor? Who is worthy of glory? Who is worthy of being blessed? Who is worthy of celebrating? Who is worthy of devoting your entire life to? The answer would be God. Yet. Who is willing to be dishonored? Who is willing to be undignified? Who is willing to be cursed? Who is willing to be despised? 
And who is willing to die? The answer again is God. This is the great scandal at the center of the cross. It is an upside-down paradox where God himself lays his life down to die so that when we ask ourselves, am I loved? Do I have value? Am I seen? Does anybody care? The answer returns to us unmistakably as the image of Jesus on the cross. His love for you is unrivaled. It is beyond compare. And it is without dispute. The cross is the demonstration of the greatest love that you and I will ever know. Let us not miss with our familiarity with the cross the scandalous love that exists there. But it's not just a demonstration of love. It's lovely when someone says that they love you, even better when they can prove it to you. But love is an action. If I'm drowning in the ocean, it is not enough to have someone on the shore yell back to me, I love you so much, as I'm waving to them, help. It's no good if they show up with all their friends holding poster boards, spelling out, I love you. Love is an action. Love acts to help you when you have a problem. And we have a problem. Second part of Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners. You see, Jesus didn't just die on a whim as some grand romantic gesture, his best idea for communicating love. The cross is a rescue. The good news of the cross for us requires an admission by us. We needed rescuing because we messed this whole thing up. In the book of Genesis, God makes mankind and he sets us on the earth in the garden and he says, rule all of this creation with me. You guys are the rulers, but you will rule under my rule. You guys get to lead, but you will lead under my leadership. God says to us, I have a way of doing things and it leads to blessing and goodness and we'll live in perfect relationship forever in the purest love and live life to the full and there'll be no tears or sadness and everything will be beautiful and good and we cut God off right there and we said, I haven't been listening since you said we get to lead. You had me that you guys are the rulers. We rebelled against God. We rejected his rule. We rejected his offer of relationship, and the rest of human history since Genesis chapter 3 has been the record of us ruling on our own and messing it up, ruining everything, hurting each other, ourselves, all of creation. Our hearts are a factory for creating pain that we either hold against ourselves or we give to others. We left the Father in his way of life, and we made our own. We created a kingdom of suffering, injustice, and if we are brutally honest, evil. We are the recipients of evil and the perpetrators of it, and we are stuck in it, desperately hoping for a solution that we cannot provide. And we see the evil. There's great evil in the world, 
starvation and murder, human trafficking and war, children dying in school shootings, and there's more mundane evil, evil nonetheless, of selfishness, betrayal, and pride, and the lies that slowly erode relationships, the contempt that builds up between spouses, the anger that we pass down to our children, and the envy we point towards our coworkers. And at the end of the day, I get home and the weariness of the world is altogether too much. And I slump onto my couch and I pour a glass of wine and I turn on Netflix just to cope. And we look around when we do this and we say, will someone deal with all this evil and suffering? Will someone put an end to it and bring justice? It's as if God has left us in charge and we threw a house party while he was away and we trashed the house. We broke our collarbone jumping off the garage. Our little brother needs stitches. The bathroom's flooded. The car's in the swimming pool and for some reason the microwave is up on the roof. And God comes home and says, what on earth happened here? This isn't what I taught you to do. And we go, I know, look at this mess. Woo-wee, someone needs to clean this up. What a mess. Someone should pay for this. You see, we crave justice for the evil in the world, but ultimately that means justice needs to be brought down on us. We want God to stop the evil, and we want the people who've done the evil to pay the price, but we are those people. The theologian Tim Mackey says it like this, Let's be honest. The evil that I see everywhere out there is the same evil I see in me. We have all contributed and we keep on doing it. So this puts us in a bind. If God is going to get rid of evil, he's going to have to get rid of us. And I hear the retort, I'm a good person. I haven't killed anyone. I haven't committed any war crimes. Claiming to be a good person compared to the other people is a little bit like claiming you're better than other people at jumping across the Grand Canyon. Surely there are more evil people than you. But imagine with me for a second that we were attempting to jump across the Grand Canyon, successfully landing on the other side, representing living a good and righteous life. Some people will prove to be awful at jumping across the Grand Canyon. They will trip and fall and tumble down the side, barely getting an inch across. Some of us, maybe we did a long jump in high school. Maybe we go to the gym every Sunday and sometimes midweek. We practice our squats. We can jump a good 10, 15 feet across. A really good jump. Awesome. You jumped a lot farther than most people, and you were still miles away from landing on the other side. The Bible says it like this, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is no prize for failing better than other people. And we have failed at living good and healthy and righteous lives. We are part of the brokenness of the fabric of existence. We compare ourselves favorably to those who have sinned differently, but we must admit we are a million miles from goodness and we have found ourselves a million miles from God.
we need saving. We need someone to fix the problem of sin, this sin that is separated from our Heavenly Father when we ran away from Him, this sin that has broken our lives into pieces too tiny to be glued back together, and this sin that is actively destroying lives and needs justice enacted upon it. We need someone to come and fix what we broke and do what we cannot do. Which brings us to the final part of Romans 5, verse 8. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so we have our solution in the cross and our Savior in Christ. When Jesus dies on the cross, he dies for us in that he dies in the place of us. He takes the place of the sinners on whom justice should be poured out. Instead of getting rid of us, he became one of us. And Jesus, as both God and man, takes the justice and he pours it out on himself. He pours out justice. He puts an end to our sin problem and saves our lives in one fell swoop. Even though it is us who deserve to die. Jesus creates a place, his own body, where the totality of all human sin can go to die. Where justice can be enacted, forgiveness can be handed out, and peace can be made. The pastor and author Brian Zant says it so beautifully that I have to steal his words. I do not have this as a slide because I do not want us to read ahead but I want us to hear this word by word. He says it like this. Once sin entered the body of the crucified God, there could be no escape for it. On Good Friday, the sin of the world was drawn into the infinite gravity of God's grace. At Golgotha, the sin of the world as a hideous singularity was drawn inescapably into the greater singularity of God's love where sin itself was undone. Christ's self-sacrificial death upon the cross became a cosmic supernova irradiating time and space with divine forgiveness. This was when the sin of the world was taken away as foretold by the forerunner. When Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them, what was forgiven? Everything. Every sin, every transgression, every act of idolatry, every deed of injustice, every Stone Age murder, every Space Age iniquity, every notorious crime, every, every hidden sin, it was all forgiven. On Good Friday, all the sins of the world became a single sin that it might be forgiven once and forever. This is Jesus. Making a way for us to get out of the horrible mess we are in, saving us from death, putting sin to an end, pouring out love, living out justice, defeating our enemies of the flesh, the world, and the devil, and finally, reconciling us to God. The final piece is this. Jesus died for us to be reconciled back to the Father. We ran away. We rebelled. We rejected him. We find ourselves on the other side of the Grand Canyon, 
And God is calling over to us saying, hey, kids, what are you doing all the way over there? And we're yelling back, I don't know. How do we get back to you? How do we get back to God? He comes to us. He comes to, he comes to get us. And then he brings us back to him. When we created a sin-sized gap, he closed the gap. He jumped the Grand Canyon. He found us when we were lost. He chased us down, and he brought us home. A few years ago, I lost my son. We were living in these apartments, literally right behind the church here. It was a Sunday morning. It was Mother's Day. My son Ezekiel, he's now six, he was two. He's two and a half. As we were getting ready for church in the morning, we looked around and suddenly he was gone. Not in the living room, not in the bedroom, not in the yard, not in the kitchen, not in the closet, gone. So I ran over to church, which was beginning to happen. And I grabbed the security guards and I grabbed some of the dads out of the front of church. And I said, you got to find my son. And they started to run around the neighborhood. A mad chase ensued, but no one could find him. My wife, distraught, the worst Mother's Day of all time. I walked back to my house with no confidence that anybody was going to find him. I walked back into my living room. And I said, I'm his dad. I know my son. No one else is going to find him. I'm going to find him. So I thought, where would my son go? And I went into the kitchen, and there was a back door in the kitchen. I thought he went out the back door. The back door leads to a little parking lot. And I got in the parking lot, and he wasn't there. And I said, okay, where would he go from here? And that leads into the alleyway. And I got into the alleyway, and I said, where would he go from here? And I could see across the alleyway is a parking lot into the uh, parking lot for families over here. And I thought, maybe he went this way. I walked there, and there's a large white SUV parked, the first car, so you couldn't really see past it. And I stepped around, I looked around the SUV where there was a Harley Davidson motorcycle. And sitting on the motorcycle <laughs> is my two and a half year old son. And I run over to him, and I pick him up, and I grab him, and I wrap him up in my arms. And with tears in my eyes, I asked him, where did you go? And in his beautiful little two-and-a-half-year-old broken little toddler voice, he said, I went away. I didn't know where you were. And I couldn't get down. This evening, I wonder if you are in the same position as my son. You went away. You didn't know where God was. You don't know how to get down. My friends, the good news for you is your father. He loves you and he knows you. And he has chased you down and he has found you. And he will save you and he will help you down from the place you have found yourself. And he will bring you home. That is why we are here tonight. Because of this. Because God demonstrated his own love for you in this, that while you were still a sinner, Christ 
died for you. This is the beautiful truth, the mystery, the heart of the cross. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son. That he came to reveal your heart for us, your love for us, your goodness towards us, your kindness and your grace and your mercy. And I thank you that by him we are set free from our bondage to sin. I thank you that Jesus, by your blood, you have made a way. You have made a way for there to be love and for there to be justice for there to be forgiveness. And I thank you, Jesus, that you have found a way to bring us back into the arms of God. And so I pray over all of us this evening that we would know you have drawn us close. And as we trust in you with faith, we find a loving father who would do anything for his children. In your name we pray, amen. We're going to take a few minutes, some cello music, to sit and to pray and to contemplate in your own heart and to come before God. And if the cross has become familiar to you, let it become fresh. If the cross is brand new to you, invite Jesus to come into your heart. Invite him to speak. Let's pray.